0: Hopefully it turned right on. So good to be with you this morning. Um, I've been looking forward to be here and share with you about what God is doing. And just to uh, just say thank you, thank you to Christ Community Church. Thank you guys for supporting uh, this amazing ministry at VIU. Thank you for coming on board so early and supporting the vision and buying into the vision of equipping students to be Christian leaders. We want to raise leaders for the local church, for their family, for their workplace, and for their communities. And it's been awesome that Christ Community Church joined so early. I mean, it's always amazing to be here and to see how um, welcoming you guys are every time that we come here and how you guys take care of us in, um, very in, in a lot of details. Like, he just bought me a glass of water, and um, you guys are so caring in all the little details. So thank you so much for that. Thank you also for those who meet on Wednesday morning and pray for us every week at the church. Thank you for those who pray from home, and thank you for those who financially support the ministry. We couldn't do this without you. Thank you for the church for also supporting us financially. We, we really couldn't do that, do any of this, uh, if it wasn't together. And so, thank you. As I think about September and students are moving on campus in just 10 days, um, it's, it's slightly nerve-wracking and scary, but exciting at the same time that there's just 10 days until they move on campus. And as I think about September coming up, I'm reminded about last year and the miracles that God has been working on campus and what happened. And one of the things that's the most important, I was talking with someone who um, lives on the residence. And he says the first six weeks are very crucial. The first six weeks is when students are going to be leaving their homes sometimes leaving their province, leaving their country, and coming here in Nanaimo. And those first six weeks is when they're going to be looking for a community. They're going to be looking for friends. They're going to be looking for a place to belong and for someone to belong. And whichever people or whichever group they attach themselves to is likely to stay the same for the, for the rest of their four years uh, for your degree. So it's very crucial that UCM be involved on campus and, and that we reach as many students as we can in that first month and a half, because this is when they are actively looking, when they are craving this community, craving a place to belong. And so last year, we did everything we could to be on campus as much as we could. You wouldn't believe what we did. And I thought we were doing a pretty good job. And this is when I got an email. And things got sour pretty fast. The email went like this. It says, hi, my name is Jim, and I am working with the Student Affairs. We have received some serious complaints that UCM might be associated with some terrorist movement happening around the world and we would like to discuss the viability of your club on campus. I was like, seriously God? I got upset. I remember the time because I tried to work until 4 o'clock and it was 3.58. I was like, that's it. I'm going for a nap. I'm done. Done for the day. And I was just heading to the bathroom and I've never gotten, you know, I never heard God's audible voice. Some people maybe the heavens opened up, the roof breaks up and God speaks to you, but I, I wish this would happen to me. It never happened to me yet. But I just heard the Holy Spirit talk to me and say, "Just call him." I was like, "I mean, you guys have a French Canadian here, Michel, and so you may be aware of uh, having a piece of a French Canadian guy." I was like, he, "I'm just gonna go down on town to him. I can't call him. I better not call him." And so I was just—I c- I kept heading for the bedroom to go find out. And um, I was like, "You got to be obedient." So I was like, "Okay, fine." So I grabbed my phone and I dialed the number. And I'm like, this is not going to end well. So he picks up. I'm like, hi, this is Samuel from UCM. And this is all I could say. And then he starts talking about what was going on in his situation and all that. He went on for about a few minutes. And then he was like, wow, you really called fast. And I was like, yeah, you know, I serve a God that answers prayer quite fast. And and then I started saying words that I didn't even know I was able to do. And I I started saying, Thank you so much for calling me. Thank you so much for messaging me. Thank you so much for having a pulse of what's going on on campus. And I was like, I don't want to say that. I'm just mad at him. (laughs) Why am I saying that? And I just kept talking to him and blessing him. And I said, hey, would it be all right with you if we met tomorrow? And he says, yeah, that would be a great idea. So we met the next day. The meeting went pretty well. And um, then I went on for the rest of my day. And at the end of the day, I got home and I got another email from Jim. I was like, oh, good Lord. And then this one was, Hi, Samuel. We've met. It's been three hours, and I haven't stopped thinking about you. I want you to know that I met with the executive director, and we are so excited that you're on campus. We want you to know that we, want to st- we stand behind everything that UCM does. We want to work together, and, we want to s- and I think that we should meet more often to see what we can do and how we can support each other to elevate campus life to the next level. I know that you want to see every student succeed, and I'm so pleased that you're on campus. If this isn't God turning a situation 180 degrees... I don't know what it is. It was so amazing to see God show up in mighty ways. And one more story before we dig into the word. But, um, I went to Quebec this summer. We had an amazing time. I had poutine almost every day. <laughs> I already miss it. I had maple syrup on things that you wouldn't imagine. I remember there was some maple syrup left in the can before we left. And I said, Mom, I just got to try it. We were having spaghetti. It didn't make it worse, <laughs> but it didn't really make it better either. So anyhow, I did it for science. But one thing that happens a lot in Quebec is thunderstorm. I love thunderstorm. I love storm. Christina loves to go to Quebec just so we can see storms. Uh, but here, they're not very common. A storm to start with is not very common. I mean, raining 40 days in a row is quite common, but a storm is not common. Where You know, it, like the flood almost, it fails. You get outside and you're drenched in 25 seconds. But there was a storm happening on that night, which is kind of rare already to start with on the island. And then there was thunder happening on that night, which is even more rare. And even more rare than a storm that's a thunderstorm on the island is a storm that hits a transformer that cuts the power everywhere on campus. That's very rare. And we were right in the middle of UCM, right in the middle of the sermon, and the lightning hits a transformer or something like this. Okay, if you're an electrician, maybe I'm wrong with this. But anyhow, the power went out. I can tell you that girls are griming each other, I'll in the arms of the guy beside them, and they're freaking out, not wondering, what are we going to do now, the guys are acting all tough, but we're freaking out too, I'm preaching, I'm freaking out too, and I'm like, okay, what do we do now, do we keep going, do we stop preaching, uh, I just felt, I'll just keep preaching, and, um, and Christina said afterwards, good thing, I kept preaching, because my sermon was okay before the power went out, but it got really good after the power went out, <laughs> so I was like, maybe it's because nobody could see me, but uh, I kept preaching, and at the end of the night, The emergency lights were starting to die off and one of the students came to me and she's like you know it was really great service and it's good that we're here and she says good thing there's emergency lights that stayed on and i said well but all the emergency lights are are dying but she said what about this one in the back room and because we have you know in classroom there's fluorescent on the on the ceiling but you can't really dim the light so it's either like you know 12 o'clock or completely dark so we have some um canadian tire work lights, you know, like those 1,000-watt lights that we put on the ceiling to give some ambience light, and that one was still on, and I said, this is not an emergency light. This is drawing 1,000 watt. This is a $40 light from Canadian Tire. This should not be on. Imagine that. Even the coffee maker wasn't working because the power was out at a young, a young adult event. That's something to die for, but this light was still working. There was no light left on campus, but there was one light that kept shining, and it was where the Christians were worshiping God. It was where the Christians were meeting. It's where, it was, it's where Jesus' name was proclaimed is when the light was left on campus. And what an amazing picture of what we want to be on that campus. In the darkness of their lives, in the darkness of the university wall that's happening right now in Canada, we want to be the light that shines on campus. We want to be the light that guides people to the truth, that guides people to the kingdom of God. And so what it was so so cool to see that. I mean, I believe that's a miracle. You believe what you want. But when no electricity is anywhere, but there's one outlet that kept working, that's God, that's God just showing up and saying, we want the Christian to shine on campus. And let me just share with you a quick, two quick stories about testimonies of how this is happening right now, how lives are being transformed, how leaders are being equipped on campus at VIU. Uh, the first testimony is Megan. Sorry, um, not Megan, but... Man, Samantha. Samantha um, just graduated, and she had to take an English course to finish. And this is, I mean, VIU is a, is a spiritual battleground. She was taught the English course by a teacher who proclaims herself to be a witch. And they have to read books that describe vivid, in, in vivid words and pictures, incest, and rapes. And she said that she just wanted to throw up. But she had to finish this, these readings and these assignments if she wanted to graduate but she couldn't do it. She said the only reason that she was able to finish and continue to do it is because she knew that there was a group of Christians that prayed together and worshiped God on campus. She said, when faced with challenges in the classroom, I leaned on my UCM family with them by my side. I knew I wasn't alone. The students are coming here, and they feel like they're alone in their struggles. So when they come to UCM and there's a group of 65 to 80 students that meet together that worship God, they know that they're not, they're not alone. They know they can stand strong, that they're not a sheep left abandoned on this campus, but that there's a community that cares. There's a community that's reaching out to these students. Another testimony is Megan. Megan grew up in a Christian family, and then she walked away from God in her late teens, came to VIU and didn't want to have anything to do with God. And then in her third year, she went through some struggles. She was invited by someone to UCM. She came to UCM and she uh, says, UCM is my favorite part of the week. I feel so connected with the people. They're always welcome, love the worship, and get to know God more and more. And you see, now she's working. She just started working at the Nanaimo Hospital. And she says it's amazing. She can't imagine doing her line of work without God, without praying for her patient, without coming and, and seeing God work miracles and seeing God healing people, not only physically, but spiritually as well in our words. So what an amazing testimony of people being raised to be leaders, people growing up and being equipped to be strong leaders. And I really believe that there there's Samanthas and Megan walking this campus that are gonna be walking by the thousands. There will be eleven thousand students between the age of eighteen and twenty-five coming on the campus this year. A third of those, 3, 000, over three thousand international students, will be walking this campus every day. And they think that with a degree, they will finally purpose. They will finally find meaning to their life. And I don't believe that. I believe that they'll be disappointed because that degree, that course, that philosophy course is not going to answer the question. It's not going to meet the need that they have. But that Jesus is the only one that can meet that need. And so we need to be there. We need to be there together. Maybe you can't walk the campus every day. You can't reach the students every day. But what you can do is when you're giving $100, when you're praying for us every day, every month, you allow people to be there. You allow God to be there and keep walking this campus and make a difference. So thank you for that. Together, let's shape tomorrow with today's university students. I'd love to connect with you. At the end of the service, we'll be in the back with my wife, Christina. Come talk to us. Come sign up for our newsletter and have a little prayer request and a little thing stay updated about what God is doing on campus. And let's shape this, let's shape this city. Let's continue to work together and shape Nanaimo. This morning, I have a, an exciting message from one of my favorite books. And I'm not biased to this one, but it's the book of Samuel. First book of Samuel, chapter 1. And that's a very close chapter to me because it deals with the mother of Samuel. And when I think about the mother of Samuel, I cannot not think about my own mother and think about the special link that children have with their mother or the mother has with their children of knowing things that children don't even know they have. Let me just give you a little bit of background about my mom. She is um, completely... Technology or electronic, um, what is it that they say? People that can't read, illiterate. She is so bad with electronics. She she can't even text. She doesn't understand how to send a text message with a cell phone. And so she and she doesn't have long distance calls. So what she'll do is she'll call my sister. I'm from Quebec originally, so that my mom still lives there. Most of my family do. And so she'll call my sister to ask her to text me to call her. Right. So when I get a text on my sister, mom wants to call her ASAP. I know that there's something wrong. I better call her right away. And so I de- I, it was the end of April or mid-April. I get a text from my sister. call on, may sap. So I call my mom. And my mom's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure, mom, if you understand how a conversation is supposed to go. But if you want me to call you, that's because you want to talk to me. So what, what's going on? She says, don't try to avoid the question. What's wrong with you? And I said, I really don't understand why you're going with this, mom. She says, I know there's something wrong. What's wrong with you? And then, And then I just... I just broke out to her, and I said, I don't know. Sometime in life, you, you know, you, you keep trying to work hard. You keep trying to do something. You keep trying and pushing, and you feel like you're just getting nowhere. And maybe you're, here, you're there this morning where you've been trying so hard for so long, and you just feel like you're not getting through. And I said, I don't know what's wrong. I don't know what's going on. I just feel tired. I just feel exhausted. I just feel like I don't know. And she said, I know. I said, Mom, this is like creepy right now because you live 5,000 kilometers away. We haven't talked for, for weeks. How do you know that? She says, you know, it was Easter last weekend, and he didn't call me. Oh, my gosh, I'm the worst son. I'm sorry, Mom. And she said, it's okay. I know you're busy. but I, and, and you send me a letter every holiday, every time it's my birthday. So I knew there was going to be something in the mail, and I went to the mail, and there was nothing. So then I, I thought there was something wrong. And then I talked to you on Facebook this morning, and I knew for sure there was something wrong. I said, come on, on Facebook. How do moms do that? How do they know when there's something going on like this? How do they do that? It just reminds you of how special mothers are, how special they are. And so when I, when I read the story of Hannah in the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, that's kind of what I had in my background, this mother. And I mean, Hannah is very special to me because my parents got married, and for 10 years, they tried to have children, but they couldn't have children. And so when, when I was born... My mom called me Samuel for the same reason that Hannah called her son Samuel, which means the Lord has answered. But you see, Hannah was barren for a long time, which caused her much pain to the point where she would cry and literally lose her appetite and not be able to eat. And so she went to the temple and she would pray. And one time she prayed for so long that Eli, the priest, thought that she was drunk. But even if man's heart couldn't perceive, what was happening God saw and her prayer worked God heard her prayer she became pregnant and named her son Samuel in her story we learn that there are pains so deep that relief cannot come from human being but divine intervention is the only remedy to the pain so this morning, I want to talk to you about how God uses pain and how God remembers a prayer and as a man when I think about pain I think about physical pain Women might have a difficult time to understand this, but let me just remind you that when a man is in pain, it hurts a lot. I was in Bible school. I was in RA, which meant I had the amazing privilege of waking up before everybody at 5.30 in the morning and open all the doors on campus. And I remember waking up one morning and going to the bathroom. And, and then when I was leaving the bathroom, I remember that you've got to close the door for the door to get shut. But I forgot that I had to get out of the way for the door to get shut. And so my foot gets caught underneath the door. And it would be smart to push the door open. But that's so counterproductive. I don't want to go back in life. So my foot is stuck underneath the door. But I refuse to push the door back open. I'm like, no, I have a better idea. I'll just pull my foot from underneath. And I pull my foot from underneath. But my little toe got caught there. And I broke my toe. This little thing. You wouldn't believe how much pain it caused. This tiny little toe, and now I couldn't play sport I just started hanging out with Christina, and I thought she was just the cutest in the world, and I was like, "How am I goodness? How can I win her over if I can't even go on romantic walks with her anymore?" My life was ruined. And then I tried to go to people and I tried to explain to them, "You know, I brought my too, and it hurts so much. And then it's like sometimes you tell things to people and it's like a competition. Well, I broke my ankle. I broke my knee. You That hurts a lot more. And so you know what? I was like, that's it. Nobody understands the pain I'm going through. It really hurts. My little toe really hurts. But I can't share with anybody because nobody would understand. I do. You, thank you, Michelle. <laughs> it's, the, it's the French bond here. Thank you. <laughs> And we're making jokes about this, but maybe you're you're there this morning where you there's something that you went through that's really hard. Maybe you even walked in here this morning with a pain and something that you've been trying to work through and it's really hard. But and you tried to open yourself to some people and, and nobody understands what you're going through. And and people just either discredit what you're going through and say, Well, that's nothing, or or they say, You you don't know what people I mean, people in Africa don't even eat. People and and, and then it turns into a competition, so you just learned. That you just had to be quiet about your problems. That you just had to live with your pain alone. And, and you walked like this. But when people ask you how you're doing, you're doing great. There's nothing wrong with me. But it hurts. And you feel like you're alone in your pain. And I think, I think Hannah understands what, you were going, what you're going through. Because we don't have to take a guess at what her pain was. Even though she had a loving husband, she was suffering alone. Verse 5, in the first book of Samuel, chapter 1, verse 5. The author writes, And the Lord had closed her womb. And right after that, he continues and says again, Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. Twice, the text tells us, that it was God who had made Hannah infantile that it was no accident no error but that it, it was the deliberate work of god that hannah was barren and so you can't escape the irony of this th- knowing that god first command is to go and multiply and now he god is making hannah incapable of fulfilling the the, the duty or the command that god has given her i mean how is that fair This mystery begs the question of what good purpose could be accomplished through a woman's sterility? What good purpose could be accomplished through your disability, through your brother's death? What good purpose could be accomplished through your financial struggles or through the tragedy or the pain that you're going through this morning? What good purpose could be accomplished? And the more you ask yourself the question, the more you think nothing. It doesn't seem to do any good purpose, but it just seems to make things worse. Verse 6, the author continues, Her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Hannah's infertility made her vulnerable to ridicule. It made her life miserable and terrible. And worst of all, this was happening at the temple. This was happening in the church. At a place where she thought that she could finally get the support it was the worst place for her to be. And maybe you you... You hear this one at church and you're like, why do I keep bothering coming to church if I don't even find the help that I'm supposed to? I thought this was supposed to be a loving community. How many times do I hear this? Nobody took care of me. Nobody loved me. I mean, you expect the wall not to, have, to love you. You expect your non-Christian friends not to love you. But what about your Christian friend? What about the church? And you get broken. And verse 7, this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival kept provoked. Her rival provoked her until she wept and could not and would not eat. And so you say, how could God do anything good out of this? And you wonder, why do we remember Hannah now if this story is so sad? And that in spite of the pain, how did Hannah rise up to Be known and remembered as one of the most pious women of the Old Testament. But you know what? I don't think it's because, I don't think it's in spite of her pain that she raised up to be who she is now, who we remember her to be. But it is because of her pain, because of the tragedy and the pain that she went through that Hannah is not remembered as the most pious woman in the Old Testament. It's because of the pain that she went through that Hannah made a vow to God. And she is the only woman in the Old Testament whose prayer is recorded. She is the only woman shown making a vow and fulfilling it to God. Her prayer is among the longest prayer recorded in the Old Testament. Her pain is what caused her to turn to God. So this morning, don't run away from the pain. Don't, I mean, don't chase it either. Don't, don't be looking for doors with a little gap there that you token fit in. But don't run away from it. The pain that you're going through right now God, not only can he use it to make something beautiful, but he wants to use it. He might not be the one that created or that or, or that made it, but he can use it. Out of broken situation, out of broken life, God makes him whole again. God can and will bring restoration. God recognize that God uses pain, that pain is a tool that God uses to bring us closer to him. And this leads us to the second aspect of Hannah's heart this morning, which is that God remembers prayer. You know, growing up, I often wonder, why do I bother praying if God already knows what's going to happen? What's the purpose of praying? Is it because there's a selfish God in the heaven that really wants me to spend time praying? I really wrestle with this. Why would God want me to pray? Makes no sense. If it's not going to change anything anyway, because God's already know what's going to happen tomorrow. Why would I waste my time praying? And then I know that thinking and analogy is not necessarily always the best, but let me just present to you this analogy. I by no means, am good in the workshop, but I enjoy doing it. And I like going to the shop, cutting pieces of wood, and just like it feels so manly to use power tools. And I can go in the shop and I can, sc- I can start cutting pieces of wood. And my good friend tells me all the time, you know, he makes jokes about this. I cut it three times and it's still too short. And I can go in the shop and I can, cr- I can start cutting pieces of wood and gluing things and screwing things together and nailing things together. And then I look back and I'm like, man, this is ugly. Right? Like, oh, this really doesn't fit together. So I learned that as much as I like cutting things in the, sh- in the wood shop, the first thing I got to do is make a drawing. And this does not feel manly. At least not for me. Sorry. If you like drawing, that's good. Um, but then I have to take measurements and i got to sit down and, you know, draw things and, and measure. And then I have my cutting list and I can go in the shop and I can cut all these pieces of wood. And it's like magic. I don't believe in magic, but this is like, like you know, like this is a miracle. Everything fits together. It's so amazing. Just because I had a plan. And I think prayer is kind of like this. When we go in prayer, not because we need to satisfy, satisfy God's desire for prayer, but because we need it. It's not God that needs our prayer. It's we need prayer. And I go to prayer, and that's God lays down the blueprint of what I'm supposed to do. I receive from God what's His blueprint of where, what I'm supposed to do, and then I go and do it. If I just go and do it, and some people are doing this, and they go and they try to do ministry, and they try to serve God, and they try to do all this in their own strength, and then they look back, and they're like, God, why isn't this beautiful? Why none of this works out? And God says, it would if only you knew a little bit. You were so close so many times. And if you would have just spent a little bit of time in prayer, and you would have seen where you were going wrong. And then you go in prayer, and God lays it down, and then you look back, and you're like, wow, look at all this amazing work. I barely didn't do anything just because you spent time in prayer. But at the same time, I can go, and I can start drawing blueprints, until so the cows come home, you know, until so chickens have teeth. And, and then nothing gets done. That project never gets built. And some people, they go in prayer and they pray all day, all night. They never stop praying. They pray for their entire life. And then they're like, why, God, didn't you do anything? I think that there's a time for prayer and there's a time when we need to go and we need to say, okay, God, I believe that this is from you and now I'm going to go and do it. And we need, to get out of our, we need to get out from our knees and go and work in the community. And I know you guys are doing that and that's awesome. So maybe you can use this as an encouragement for your friends. But we need to get out. And I think Hannah, she went to prayer. She went to the temple and she said, I will stay on my knees until I receive something from God today. In verse 10, the Bible says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. Hannah knew that she was suffering from pain that couldn't be cured by human Her husband tried and it didn't work. The only relief that would work was a divine intervention. So Hannah went to God for help. There will be pain in your life that nobody can help you with. There is suffering of the heart that nobody, no medication, no amount of a a temp or self-help book will alleviate the pain. But the only relief will come from God who is the remedy for the pain of the soul. And so Hannah, verse 13, went to the temple. And Hannah was praying in her heart. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. Eli was a man who watched lips instead of perceiving hearts. And I'm sure you've met people like this in your life too. You find a lot of them. They look at how things are rather than perceiving what is really happening in the matters of the heart. But if people can't be full, God can't. I can only imagine, though, the French-Canadian in me, the fighter in me, would if, I can, if, if Eli would have came to me, oh my good Lord. I would have gotten up to him and I would be, who do you think you are? You think you're a man of God coming here and telling me that I'm drunk? I'm here pouring my heart out to God and you're coming here and accusing me of something I didn't do. But maybe I have something to learn from Hannah. Hannah's just gentle response, verse 15, was, Not so, my Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. For I have been praying here out of great anguish and grief. Rather than accusing Eli, she recognized that Eli was a man appointed by God. She recognized that he may have made a mistake, but that she still decided to treat him with respect and dignity. And because of her response, rather than starting an argument with her, Eli blesses her. And this is the moment that Hannah had been waiting for. Eli says, go in peace. And may God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Then she went on her way, verse 18. And this is beautiful because she ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. Hannah finally had victory. God wants you to have victory this morning over what you're going through. God wants you to know that he wants to provide you victory. If you walked in this room with a face downcast, he wants you to leave with a joy on your face. The most amazing part of this in Hannah's story is that nothing had changed. But yet, everything had changed. Before, she couldn't eat, but now she went back to eat. Before, she was filled with anxiety and pain, but now she was filled with joy and peace and hope. Before, her face was downcast, but now she had joy on her face. You know, we often imagine that to change the world, we need to have a massive platform like Oprah or the Queen Elizabeth or and have a lot of money. And so you would think about how can a woman, how can a character like Hannah, who works behind closed doors, pray in the quiet? How could a woman like this have any big impact? And then you look, and you see the impact that she has. Hannah literally changed the course of history with one prayer. We can't imagine the world and what history would be without prophet Samuel, and you cannot imagine Samuel without a mother like Hannah. How God used the pain that she was going through to shape history, to shape the lives of so many people. And I end with this, how Hannah really is an inspiration for all of us, that no matter how deep the pain how tragic the circumstances or how difficult the road gets, that God is the remedy that provides relief of the soul and brings victory. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. And thank you, Lord, for your presence even in the midst of pain. And thank you, Lord, that you take our pain and that you make something beautiful out of it. And so I pray For my brothers and sisters in this room this morning, Lord, I pray that you will come and that you will bless them, that you will come, Lord, and that you will reveal to them and that you will change that pain into something beautiful, that you will change, Lord, the anxiety and the pain in their heart into joy and peace. That today, Lord, we will leave this this room, filled with your presence, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the testimony and the story of Hannah, Lord. Thank you how you used the pain. And we pray, Lord, use our life for your glory. We want our life, Lord, to shine for your glory like Hannah's life shine for your glory, Lord Jesus. All for you. We give it, Lord. We come and we say, Lord, we want to die to ourselves and we want you, we want you, Lord, to be glorified in this city, in our life, Lord. Come, Lord, and we surrender to you. We surrender, Lord, our pain. We surrender our suffering this morning. We say, Lord, we die to ourselves. And we say, come, Lord, and fill our life with your presence. For your glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen.